I was going through these phases where I was super happy, super okay, super great, and then I crash. It doesn't feel good to be homeless. It doesn't feel good to be poor. It's not like a fun thing, you know, you want to do. There's, there's a new layer of responsibility for parents these days with the internet and technology and social media. It was a hard, hard road. I mean, I would lay at home at night and just worry every single night, like praying I didn't get a phone call, but also praying I did hear from him. Like, I don't understand the need to to put like a, a, a moral judgment on that, right? Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Best Self Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris Chavez. And I'm Stephanie Prati. And this week is going to be kind of a different episode, not like last week. Uh, this one, I'm not on it. I was sick during the recording of this episode, and so Stephanie took over and, and basically ran the ship. Who did, what, who'd you talk to this week? Um, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Mona Lisa, who's named after the Nat King Cole song, not the painting. <laughs> Mona walks us through her 25-year battle with drug addiction, incarceration, and the heartbreak that accompanies these experiences. She also describes the impact her journey has had on her children and how she was able to heal her relationships with them. Now at 50 years old and thriving, Mona has fully dedicated her life to helping others who currently walk the same path she once took. During our conversation, she stresses the importance of seeking help, never giving up on yourself or loved ones, and that no matter how old you are or where you are in life, recovery is always possible. Awesome. Can't wait to hear it. So uh, without further ado, here's episode two of the Best Self Podcast. Let me just preface this conversation by saying that I've been at Best Self for a year and you're still my favorite person at Best Self. <laughs> I love your energy, oh, Stephanie. No, it's your energy. Like first, and, and people that don't know Mona, like there's such a light around you and that doesn't happen with a lot of people. You just have a natural, you just walk into a room and there's just like just positivity always going around you. But that's just God, though. I'm just, like, still amazed by it. I'm like, wow. Mona is, um, do you go by peer advocate specialist? Yes, peer okay. advocate. For um, our Recovery Connections program in Buffalo, New York. So um, why don't you explain a little bit just about what you do and what the program does, and then we'll kind of take it back to the Mona days. All righty. Again, I'm on a team called uh, Recovery Connections. It's a mobile team. I'm one of the peer advocates on the team. On our team, we have a counselor, a peer, and a nurse, okay? And what we do, we do something that's so different, it's innovative. We go out into the community and we bring treatment to you. We have an RV, I call it a clinic on wheels, okay? And so my dude, what I do is I engage the individual. I let them know that I've been through what you're going through and we're in this together. And so, so these people, you find them, well, obviously, if they're on the street and you could tell that maybe they... Um, either have substance use disorders or mental health issues. I mean, you just approach them like yourself and just say, hey, you, we want to help you out a little bit. And that's true, right? We see a lot of people right out in our community on the street, but believe it or not, the audience has changed so drastically. A lot of people call us in. A lot of people look just like you and me, Stephanie. And they want the help. Right. And they're, and they're working people. So a lot of people call in. We go out into different communities that have barriers, like transportation might be a barrier, or they're out in a rural community. So we go out there. Don't get me wrong. We'll go up under the bridges. We yep. go wherever um, people need help at. 
So why don't you take us back to your family life and then where things got went left for you a little Alrighty. bit. So growing up as a child, I had a great childhood. Um, I grew up with uh, two parents in a household. Um, let's see. Uh, we I remember going on vacations. It was a lot of love in the household. Um, How many siblings? I have two siblings. Mm -hmm. I have an older sister, and then I have a baby sister that's 10 years younger. All three girls. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So it's three girls. And we. Um, my um, older sister, she had a son very young at 14 years old. So he was raised like a brother. Today, okay. that's my nephew. But yeah. again, like I said, we grew up in a great household. I was always made to be known that I was beautiful and and I was always just shown a lot of love, okay? And we were all shown a lot of love in my family. Even my sister, you would have never known she was adopted. We knew because my mother told us the truth. But I would have never known to like 10 when she told us, you know. But again, So who's, ado who's adopted? My sister. Just my your older sister. sister, right. Okay, okay. But again, the way they loved on my sister, you would have never known. Because it. it was just a lot of love sure. in my household. And so again, my mother instilled art in us. We had to do piano lessons. We did music school. We was in Buffalo Arts Music School. So we had just had a great great childhood. Um, yeah. Went on vacation. You good family values. Yes, good family values. Um, and so, um, again, I had a privilege and opportunity. I was very smart. I'm not bragging, but I was very smart. It's I had okay. a privilege and opportunity to go to the University of Pittsburgh, okay? Oh. So I went to the University of Pittsburgh, and again, I was doing great. Um, listen, I think um, I had, um, I was in my junior year, but I got pregnant. And so, um, I came home and I had the baby and I went back to school, but the kid's father broke my heart. And that's where the downward spiral began. And you're um, so close to graduate. What were yes, you getting? What were you studying? I was taking information systems and science and communications was my um, minor. And so again, again, I had an internship at Coca-Cola. They were willing to start me off at like 60,000. That was back in 1989. That was a lot of money back then. So yes. Um, he broke my heart, and that's where if you ever experienced a broken heart, you know what I'm of talking course, about. especially you have a child right, with but, this person. Yes, and it was just like, wow. So he broke my heart, and I began to just give up. I was always bringing home like a 3.5 or 3.7, and I remember just Wing out of all of my classes. My father came down, and he was like, what's going on? And he's he called back home, and my mother's like, she's in love, and oh. her heart is broken. So I came back home with my daughter. And I had another daughter at that time. I was pregnant when I got back home. And Lorraine was like six months when I came home and I had an, and I was pregnant again. And that I remember looking up in the sky saying, I never want to love again. And uh. I began to get high. I remember I'm carrying this baby. And so I got high the whole time I carried her. Um, and it was like the worst high. No so one let, let's take bit. Let me take mm -hmm. you back a second. So when you were in college, you, you had, you weren't hanging with people that did drugs. Oh, like we all no. got high in well, college. Yeah. Come yeah. On, yeah. Well, let's we, minus weed. Were you doing things that were harder than that or maybe no? We would try stuff. Okay. Everybody wants to try something yeah. like I'm not doing that anymore, but in any college dormitory yes. or we had our apartments off campus, you wake up, we might not have no food. We might have a can of tuna fish, but it was some Budweiser ponies in here, and it was some marijuana on the table. But not anything that nothing, was right. Concerning. Nothing hard, right? Again, did we try some things? Yes, but so it was, the father didn't wasn't with you at 
Pittsburgh. He, right. He was from Pittsburgh. He was from Pittsburgh. He didn't go to the University of Pittsburgh. He worked at the post office. I met him at one of those campus parties. Okay. Yep. And so again, like I said, he had. So you loved heart. him. You're 20 years old. What? Right. 18, 20, 19, 19. Yes. 19. You're in love. He was there in the beginning, but then he started to get high. And I oh. didn't know it at first. And so he used to just lace his weed with the crack cocaine. Now it was when we had the crack cocaine epidemic. Yes. And, um, because, uh, oh, I'm, oh, I forgot the one yeah. main part. He left me for another woman. <laughs> and, and a brokenhearted, right, so pregnant, he, right. hormonal woman. Right. But at first, when I first came back with Lorraine, I was doing well in school. I was back into my studies. I was, you know, I was still excelling yeah. in school. But then he came home one day and said he was in love with someone else. And I didn't understand that. And that's how... The broken heart started, and then I just see me going a downward spiral with my grades. You lived in a household where there were no drugs, no right. alcoholics. Right. Your friends didn't do that in high school. It wasn't something that was like your go-to. Well, it wasn't the. It wasn't about that. It was. Um, I was smoking marijuana because again, that's what we did on yeah. campus. But then, um, someone had. I remember he had it. That's exactly who had it. He had it, and I would lace my marijuana. It still wasn't out of control, but when I began to not care about my studies, my parents noticed it first, and it was like, what's going on? How did you W on all of these classes? We're paying for this. Like, what are you doing? Because, you know, my report card would come home, and they was like, come so on. So you just weren't going? I just wasn't going and to school. And was it because you were high and couldn't go, or you were just my, laying in bed crying? I was crying. depressed. I was depressed, yeah. but didn't even know it was depression, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I didn't even understand it, and so, again, like I said, my mom was like, bring her home. So I came home. I have a baby. No one knows I'm pregnant. Okay. That's when the addiction becomes to spiral out of control. I call it the free high. The free high is the worst high. Everyone started getting me high. I was always small. No one knew it. I had this. I'll never forget. I used to wear this yellow jacket. No one knew I was pregnant. I did. And so it would, every time I would get high, I would just have this feeling. So anybody that's out there and they ever, um, they're pregnant and they're getting high. It's just, it's, it's just a feeling I can't describe, but I always felt bad. Like I was hurting a baby. I just felt like the worst person ever. And so I just kept getting high and I'm just getting high. Because now day. it's like your depression about the situation. And now you're depressed that you're doing this to your child. Exactly. So you're like in this cycle right. of right. explain to someone who, who does not understand that. So what do you feel inside when people say, Oh, your children should be enough or whatever. How does your mind work in that situation. I had a beautiful little girl at home and we went back home and I was staying with my mother and had a beautiful daughter at home. And I, I just couldn't look in her eyes because I was just so crushed and I was just so brokenhearted. And so again, like I said, even though I knew I had this baby, no one knew I was pregnant. I wasn't even doing prenatal care. Um, cause I didn't want to tell anybody that I was pregnant yeah, and I was of course, so consumed in my hatred towards yep, him yep. that I couldn't even, I couldn't move forward. Um, when everybody found out I was pregnant, I'll never forget. It was July 4th. We were going to Darien Lake. And my mom was like, take off that yellow jacket. Oh, no. It's hot outside. Put on this turquoise. She had this little turquoise linen outfit. She was like, put that on. I put it on. I came downstairs. She's like, oh my God, you're pregnant. So again, I come from, oh, no. my mom was a Christian. So, you know, she began to pray for me, put the <laughs> blessed soul on me. I, that was July 20, um, July 4th. I had her July 23rd. And I got high all the way up to the day I had her. Um, today, that's my trophy of grace. I call her my trophy Aww. of grace. Um, she is amazing. Um, she's doing well. She's excelling. Um, just a beautiful person. She's, um, what, 28 now? So were you 
the whole pregnancy, were you doing, were you still just lacing your marijuana? No, I started were, smoking the pipe. And start, I was smoking right the, the pipe. pipe. I was freebasing. I was getting high. So did anybody know that you were doing this or this was completely secretive? Well, my mother knew something was different and she would be like, now don't nothing keep you out there like that. Um, you know, back in the day, yeah. a lot of parents were ignorant to the drugs and that's why it's yeah. so important to educate yourself about the drugs. So they would say stuff like, is you doing that junk? Is you doing that white stuff? Because it started back then, crack cocaine became an epidemic. Yeah, yep. And so she kind of knew something was going on. You know, weight loss came, um, not caring how, like, you know, always wanted new stuff, didn't care about it. I was all right as long as I had two pairs of jeans and they was clean, I was good. You know what I'm saying? Um, Not being dependable. Like my mother had to go to work. It was funny. It's not funny, but it was sad. No, yeah. It was called babysitting. My mother had to go to work, so I would have to come home to babysit my two children. So, again, she knew that it was something. And, again, as you know, everybody started talking more about what was going on. So then she knew she would call you on that junk. Well, and I, I think that people, you know, we always stress that addiction is such a disease. And it's it's mm-hmm. not something that you can just wake up. I mean, some people can, but that you just wake up and, okay, I'm going to stop. Like no. people don't realize that it's something inside of you that literally just has you by its, its fingertips. Caught, right. It's a vicious cycle and you're caught up in the grips. Yes. Yes. And so that went on um, for years. Um, like I said, I never raised my children. I was really blessed that my mother stepped in and a lot of grandmothers today, they have stepped in and they, they took over, especially for my generation of mothers, because again, crack cocaine yep. had took over. So a lot of grandparents, aunts, or sisters, they all stepped in and they took care of our children. And so my mother raised my two children. Um, I missed everything. I missed their first steps. I missed um, them walking. Um, so where were you when you say you missed I lived this. at home, but I was so caught up in my addiction. All I did was come in and go to sleep on most days, okay? And so I missed a lot of things that I'm growing up. Um, so you weren't even working. You were just out just getting, high. Out getting high every day. I was just blessed to have the kind of mother who never shut her door because again, she was a Christian. And so she was like, I remember her telling my father, Nate, God gave her, her gave us that one right there. That's our daughter. We're responsible for her. And so what do we do? Do we give her up and throw out in the streets? I remember hearing yeah. these conversations and they would go and Nate would be like, my father would be like, I'm tired, Lola, get her out of here. And he, she was like, no, we're not. We're going to just continue to pray for her. That's ours, Nate. And this is what we got. And so we have to work with it. And so, I mean, don't get me wrong. My mother had rules like, oh, you're not course. coming in her house any time of the yeah. night. If you wasn't there by 11 o'clock, you couldn't come back on to that light came on up in this top window like she had yeah rules. you had a curfew and yes. you weren't going to get high and come back and disturb right. your children that we're raising uh, yes you know where's the line between enabling and just being a supportive parent you know enabling i think would be giving them money constantly right that they well, my would mother go- didn't give up no money my father he might but you had to come up with a doozy for him and you better think that story through but my mother she would always say i don't got no change because she was a Christian. So she's like, I'm not going to lie. She would always say, I don't have no change. She'd be like, I got like $4. (laughs) She would give you, she was a $4 girl, never gave you over seven. She was like, I don't have any change. But again, but did they think that, did did they have a feeling what you were going to go do with that money? Like, yeah, they knew it. They knew because after that, it just became apparent that your daughter's on crack cocaine. Again, the weight loss, Um, I lost a lot of weight. I just looked different. Um, and they would just continue to pray for me. But again, like I said, they knew 
but it was only certain things that they were going to do. Don't get me wrong. She always washed my clothes. I always had clean clothes on. That was just a very important part. If you're going to be up in this house, come in here, yeah, take gonna... a bath. You're not going to be in here stinking up my house because she was very, um, grooming was very important to her. Yeah. She kept me with a haircut. My father, my story is when I used, I went to jail. Because I always stole. So I'm talking about I don't have a few petty larcenies. I got a lot of Yeah, so I remember you talking about the first time that you went to court as a assisting peer for somebody else. And, and you said, listen, I've been here about 30 times. So what what were you getting arrested for? Just having drugs on petty you? Petty larceny. I always stealing. stole, stealing, um, possession. But a lot of times it was petty larceny. My father used to say, you're not a thief. You're a jailbird because you go to jail every other month. So again, that was my story. I would steal to get high. Now, were you ever scared of being in jail or the addiction is just so heavy that you were like, the hell do I care if Sometimes I come back Sometimes when here? I went to jail, it was a break. I felt like I was about <laughs> to get arrested. So, you know, and my parents, believe it or not, they used to love when I went to jail because they knew I was safe and I wasn't out there in the streets because any mother or father, your daughter out here at the end of the day, I'm still a woman. I'm out here in these streets. They was always wondering, is they going to read in the paper that their daughter is dead? So again, it was just a great relief to them when I used to go to jail. So how long would, were you, would you be in there? Is there enough time that you would have needed to detox this out of your system? Oh yeah, I would. I mean, sometimes, you know, I would only be in there for maybe a week or two. And then it was times that I would have to do 90 days or even did eight months before. And so that was my story. I went to jail every year. And so again, like I said, um, that amazes me. I mean, like I said, I might jump all around. No, that's okay. I'll keep you here. I remember just like with my job now and just working and we work closely with opioid court. And when I first walked in front of Judge Hannah, he was like, he stopped the courtroom and he's like, come here because he remembered me. And to, you know, that that right there just amazes me. This is the same judge. I've been in front over 30-something times. I got like 13 convictions. Now today he calls me up and he says, dear friend, help me think outside the box. Like, values my opinion. And that is just so amazing. Like, it, you know, he was like, you're in, you know, you're at Mona. You're in good hands. And let the person walk away with me. Is that like such a win for you? What? For you? That is a wow because I never thought that God would use me the way he's using me now. Just to even have this second chance at best self, I never thought that I would be here. Now, I was at a good place, Main Street Host. It was the only place that would hire me. Sure. It was, I'm a marketing agency. You can call it telemarketing at its best. Yeah. But again, they always believed in me and they would let me work for them. And when I got this opportunity... I mean, we had to jump through hoops because it wasn't like, oh, we'll take her with yeah, her we'll record. Take her. Yeah, right. we they had to went through her hoops. A yes. I mean, Kelly, Ty, everybody began to, you know, advocate for me. And I remember um, Howard, he was on vacation. He said, I'll think about it. When I come back, I'll let you know. And Kelly said he didn't deny you. He said, I'll think about it. He gave me a chance, and I am so grateful for that chance and to be a part of this best self Well, team. I think now, I mean, they just you're just so valued here because you just have so much experience and passion. But I want to I wanna bring it back before you got to this point. So mm-hmm. you're going in and out of jail. You have two kids. They're growing up. You're growing up, still in your addiction. At what point, or was there any point that anybody looked at you and said, 
Let's get you some help. Well, um, early on, we had drug, Judge Russell. He yeah. had a drug court program. Yeah. I remember when he first piloted his program. I think it was back in 1989. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. But um, my mother, again, she was a Christian. And so my mother, I remember her telling Judge Russell, I was in his courtroom and I was in drug court. And she said, um, what is it her? What is it for her to be off drugs but not know Jesus, okay? And mm -hmm. so, again, my mother sent me to a Christian program called Teen Challenge. And so mm -hmm. I went to Teen Challenge. How old were you at this point? Um, I'm about 20. Okay. Right. So I go to Teen Challenge. I get my first taste of a Christian program. and But they didn't have any in Buffalo. And so I had to go to Philadelphia. I went to Dover, Pennsylvania. There, a lot of them was up, up in Pennsylvania. And that's where, again, I was always raised up in the church. But they, they began to give me, a, teach me a relationship with God. And so I learned a lot from them. I learned the word and it was instilled in my heart. And so even way back then, I didn't know how he was going to do it, but I knew he had promised me that the time I, will be right. Right. He said, I'm, I'm the one who began to work in you and I'm going to finish it and everything's going to be for my glory. I didn't know he was going to do peers, but it was all part of the plan. He did. He yeah. said, I'm going to get glory out of your past. And that's what he's doing right now. He promised this. It's all in It's all in the word. And again, I'm not, you know, no holy roller, but again, no, but you, that was you instilled in me yeah. back then. And I had a little bit of faith. I didn't have a lot. I didn't know how he wanted to do it, but I knew I didn't want to live like that because I wasn't raised like that. And it was just, I knew it was so much more to life. But I used to sing Christian songs. I used to sing worship songs when I was walking down the street on a day when I just felt like giving up. I would sing a worship song because again, that was what was instilled in my spirit. And that would get me through even though I was still getting high, I still knew who I belonged to. Were you ever scared to die? Man, I felt like the walking death did. I mean, out there, yeah, you have to perpetrate. I used to act hard, but yeah, on most days I put myself in compromising situations, getting in people's car you don't know. Um, just the drugs back then. So you had no fear. All right, I seen people started back then dying of aneurysms. They would certain drugs was killing people. Just like now, even though we have the opioid epidemic, we have a we had an epidemic back then too. And I would see people dying of aneurysms, not taking care of themselves. Um, the thing about the babies was a lot of mother giving birth to children at that time, and again, a lot of children coming out dead, deformed all in foster care, never seen their children, lost their rights. I was so blessed that my mother did not put my children in foster care. She took them herself. And I remember, mom, put them in foster care. You'll get some money. She was like, it's never about money. And I didn't understand that then. She was well, you like, were a young, young yes, mother who I, had an addiction and, and could not your mindset was probably what is the easiest what's the shortcut right and she was like no she was like I got him and my spirit will let me know when you was right and then my mother's gone now but when my mother passed she had instilled in my children love for me and so again my children they're older now and I'm not saying in the beginning it was easy no but now my children today they have they love me because I was like either you can hold me hostage to my past or you can learn to forgive me. And if you forgive me, I can't make up and we can't buy back the, uh, the past. But what we can do is we can live now and in the future. And so we have a great relationship. How long did the the addiction and mm -hmm. the uh, uh, arrests go on for? So, so 20 up to 40. For 20 years, I got high. And I stayed in that cycle. And every year, I would go to jail. I might make out for three months. Sometimes if I had a good run, it was six months. But it, I was going to jail at least 
once a year where I had to do a bid. And what I mean by a bid, if it was 90 days, if it was 60 days, or if even if it was eight months. Other than that, I always got arrested in between there, okay? So when you would come home, would you always have a place to stay at your mom's? Yes. My mother always let me stay at home. My father tried it once or twice. He's like, no, I can't do that. He was the money man. Now, my mom didn't go to jail, but I never had to worry. My father was always in court with me. He was going to be the one to visit me every Monday. My father didn't drive. He used to catch a bus to come visit me out at Alden every Monday. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel that that support Mm -hmm. helped you or do you think that you got too comfortable because you knew I'm good? No, I... I just thank God that they didn't give up on me. Yep. And they and I know sometimes even just speaking to the parents and that parents are because I deal with a lot of parents. Yeah, what do you tell right. the parents that well, are don't the... give up on them? Um and, and don't get me wrong, my father wasn't giving me no lot of money and he yeah. had money, but he wasn't giving up. He said, I worked hard for mine and you're not getting my money. He started to get smart, like you're not getting my money for yeah, that. Yeah, because they're not but, paying for lawyers yes, and paying for all this every time. But he would be there for me, you know, he would show up, he would make sure I had comments. Siri, but when I'm talking about the part where they didn't give up, they continued to love me. They just started loving me smarter because they started paying attention to my addiction. And so certain things they had, they was like, you did, you got me once with that. You're not getting me no more with that one. So they just got smarter and wiser. And everybody was had all of these dreams and hopes for me. And I was like, no, I can't do it. And they didn't understand it because everybody's like, just bounce back. Okay, so what broke your heart? Might meet somebody else, but I just couldn't bounce back. And so again, like I said, um, I don't know what had happened. I don't regret my past. I am so glad for my past because yeah. now I'm able to use you. my past to help others. So for you, when you had those uh, small amounts of time getting clean, did you like who you were clean? Or I did. I did. Because I've always, even like I said, what was instilled in me, even in addiction, I was a good person. Okay. And so again, like I said, I was a good person and those, those values, they never really left, you know, So hear a lot of people talk about, you know, my child died. I was abused. I have all this trauma. I don't like who I am. So then they mask it with drugs and alcohol and, and, and what have you. So you were really running from anything. I wasn't running from anything. Again, like I said, childhood was great. Okay. You know, and I, and I hear those stories too. And my heart just go on. I'm like, wow. And then sometimes it just lets me know how truly blessed I was growing up as a child. So again, again, it's just speaking to the parents. You're doing everything you, you, you can do. You've done great. It's just the poor choices we make as we get older. It becomes learned behavior. A lot of mine was learned behavior and just some poor choices down the road. Now, as you were going on, the the changes in drugs start to change as far as um, the different epidemics. So now we have this issue with fentanyl and pills. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, so were you at the point where you were kind of growing with the, the, the trends? With the trend. And my trend was the pills. I love the pills because it, it started becoming a part at the end game of, I call it the end game of my addiction. I remember I always had a lure tab in my top corner pocket. Always had a couple of lure tabs or oxycodone. You know, it, it started coming out. Um, That became the new high. I remember, again, no racial slur intended, but the white people would come into our, into the, um, into the uh, city and they would, um, asked for you to go buy pills. And so it was a lady who sold pills. And I remember they would get 20 of them. And I never forget, it was this one girl. And she was like, Mona, something about you I like. I feel like I can trust you. She was like, I got the kids at soccer practice. I don't have time to play. When I call you, I need you to be ready. 
go get what I need. And I remember she was like, get me what I need. I would go get her her pills. She would pay me for going to get her pills. Again, the lady at the um, pill house would give me a play for getting the pills. And I remember I would give her like 15 pills and she spent almost $150 for them. I'm like, whoa. And she would take about four of them. Then in the car, she was gone and I would see her in another two or three days. And so I would look forward to seeing her. But then as I'm starting to get involved in that, I remember myself. Now I'm tucking me one pill or two pills because I like the way it made me feel. I called it bringing me down after being up for a couple of days. So, yes, I started doing the pills, too. Heroin, I didn't really have and have it. But if you had it and we're sitting at the table, like, okay, let me get some. I would sniff heroin. You know what I'm saying? But my, my drug of choice was crack cocaine. And at the end, I seen the pills. So I seen it about what? I've been clean out for 10 years. So I seen it about what? About 12, 13 years ago. Do you have a conversation ever with your children? You'd come in. Maybe they'd be playing with toys on the floor. What was that interaction? Was it like My you didn't know that? My mother was so honest with them. Um, so she, you know, they knew you listen, were her mother. it was mother. called say no to drugs. Oh, yeah, they knew I was their mother. It was no sugarcoating it. That's your mother. I didn't go away for school or on vacation. She's your mother's in jail. Your mother's in jail. Write your mother a letter. Um, when my kids, I remember back, I just have these reflections. I remember they would give me Mother Day cards, and it would be things like in a Mother Day card, say no to drugs. We love you. But they would give me like $10, $15. Your just sneak in the messages. Yeah, she would sneak all... the messages in. And they were always, no matter what, it was instilled in them to respect me. That's your mother. And at the end of the day, you're going to respect her and you're going to love her. And she was like, and I remember she would have these talks and I could be on the couch and dozing in and out. But she would say, and one day when you get older, that's the one that's going to be there for you. So you're going to love her and you're going to respect what her. What a wonderful woman. She was awesome. I mean, she was awesome. And I thank her for that because like I said, when I first got clean, I remember it was a little tension with me and my daughters at first. Well, and of then, course, because they're confused. Right, they, yes. You didn't want us before. So when you would be home and they would be there, would you would you almost feel like you didn't want to be overly motherly with them because you knew you were just going to leave in a few hours? Like, did you try to I tried to buy them. Remember, I was a thief. So yeah. I would go out and I would like, oh, I got y'all some jeans and stuff. And, you know, I got you a new Thanks, pair of sneakers. Mom. Or I always came in. Cause I was always yeah. stealing. So I would have a, I would have money and I would come in and I would throw them money. And I remember a long time ago, my daughter was like, you said you was going to watch the movie with us or on Fridays, I would come and get them pizza. Cause that was big back then. Yeah. I would order them pizza. And it was like, well, why don't you just sit down and eat the pizza with us? And so it wasn't even about the money. It was about, they wanted me there. You know, and so as my yeah. children started getting older, the audience started getting older because most of their friends became the drug dealers. The oh. young boys became the drug dealers. And so it became a respect thing, even though I still continue to get high. OK, but my children, even out there, they always respected me. My mother even had instilled in them. If you see your mother, you never walk by her. You always stop. You always ask her, is she okay? So my children didn't walk by me like they didn't know me. Even as they got older, they'd be like, you okay? You need some Lucy's from the store? Um, I'm going to go in the store and I'm going to buy you a sub. Um, and they'll go in there and say, Muhammad, you better not give her my money back. Let her come later and get her sub. 
And then I would go later and get that sub. And this is even after my mom had passed, they always had my back because I didn't get clean right away. On Mother Pass, I had like 17 months clean. I used immediately. And, and I was on a three-year run. Did you use because you were sad? Like, is right. that she broke me, it broke my heart when my mother gone because that was my favorite girl. Could nobody hold me down like my mother. And so when she passed, I had 17 months clean. And I remember I used and I went. I was off to the races for three years and I didn't get it right. And what happened for me, I just got home from jail. I'll never forget September 26th, October 5th. My daughter had gotten in some trouble while I was in jail. Nobody would listen to me because they didn't value my opinion yeah. because I was getting high. Sure. And I said, listen, that is kind of serious. And my daughter is facing life right now. It's like she's facing um, a, a 10, to tw 10 to life. I said, you guys will want to get her a paid attorney or you want to get assigned counsel. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're getting high. My father was like, I got this. And I said, I'm trying to tell you something. I, I used to write my daughter all the time and, and she she talks about it now. She's home now and I'm going to get to that part. Yeah. But she used to write, and I used to write her every day in jail. And I was like, go and say you're not satisfied with counsel. Once you get assigned counsel, I need you to get an attorney that has to do a pro bono case because your case is serious. And so no one listened to me because, again, I'm getting high. Um, when I got home, October 5th, I got home September 26th, October 5th, my daughter was in front of Penny Wolfgang, and my daughter, they was telling my daughter she was facing 7 to 15, but they would give her a plea to five years. She said, Mom, Penny Wolfgang just said she'll give me five years flat or 7 to 15 if I take it to trial and I lose it. I said, Lorraine, you don't have a good counsel. And I said, and Pertz haven't done his part because I, I tried to explain right, that right. to you yep, before. Yep. So I said, 7 to 15 means you're going to do about 11 to 13 years because they're going to keep hitting you at the board. And we don't have any money to get you out. Right. I said, take the flat five and you know what you're dealing with. Okay. So she was like, all righty. So she's like, she told Penny Wolfgang, I, I want to go home. And she said yes that day. But she came home. I never forget. She said, Mom, I want you to take Jay Kwan. That was my grandson. He was five at the time. I was like, Jay Kwan, not me. I'm the yeah, dope of the family. I'm the crackhead of the family. Matter of fact, yeah, my me. food stamps just cleared. I'm about to go get high. Like, no, I'm not doing that. I prayed about it. My mother came to me in a dream, and she said, I wouldn't have her ask you to take Jay Kwan if I didn't think you could do it. Oh, wow. I prayed about it that night. The next day, I got up. And I said, I'll take him. Now, I've never been a mother before. I don't know nothing about being a mother. How I, old is he at this point? He's five. So they let my daughter, this is October, they let my daughter stay out to January 5th to get her affairs in order. Sure. So now I'm clean. Remember, I just came home from jail. I'm working and everything. I just got home September 26th. Now, usually I come home, I get everything situated, and I go get high. But I'm starting to look at this little boy because we're all living together. And I'm looking at this little boy and he's starting to depend on me. He's starting to say stuff like, your name G-Ma? I'm like, yeah, call me G-Mom. I'm like, I guess I'm G-Mom. Or he would say G-Mom and I don't even know he's talking to me. Yeah, because you right, were right. I don't know nothing about <laughs> it. So again, um, I take this little boy. That is the best decision I ever made. I remember walking. It was just me and him. Now she's gone. She goes to do the five years. And when she first go do the five years, she want to do all these appeals. And I'm like, Lorraine, I don't have any money. And if I get distracted in your appeals, you're going to lose me back to the drug. Yes. I said, right now, I just need you to do the five years. We're in this together. I'll do it with you. And I promise you, I got him. And 
he going to know every step of the way. He's going to be with you every step of the way. So she said, okay. She went on. She did her five years. So it's me and just Jaquan. It's me and this little boy. And Never. now is your dad alive at this point? He's still alive, yep. but he's getting sick. Got it. He's getting sick. And so he's not a caretaker. He's just a great provider. Sure. He only got the money. Yeah, he's good right, for the right, money. Right. Like he paid for me and Jaquan, um, first month's rent, you know, social security deposit. Uh, he, he's good for that. He was so, always good. So are you still using? I'm not using. I'm so clean. are you going through withdrawal? I'm are not you... going through withdrawal or anything. I'm clean now. I've been, remember I had just did 10 months in jail. So I had the 10 months in jail. I got out and I stayed clean. Yep. And so that was big for me because I'll always start to use right when, after I get, get home, yep. after I get everything in order, I get a new apartment and I get settled. So now it's just me and Jaquan in this house. And I begin to look at him. And every day I would be like, I say, who got you? And he'd be like, I guess you got me. I'd be like, yeah, I got you. And I don't know. I'm asking myself because I ain't never did this before. And so I, you know, just surrounded myself around some positive women. They just began to teach me how to be a mother, teach me how to nurture his spirit, teach me how to be able to be accountable don't be gone. When you get home, when he gets home from school, he needs to know what time you're coming home. He needs to be able to trust you. He needs to know that you got him. And so I used to always make sure I came straight home from school. I would call him. I'd be like, hey, you okay? I'm on my way. Like he knew when I was coming home. He'd be like, hey, did you miss your bus? He'd be like, it's 702. You get home at 648. Listen, I missed the bus. I'm on my way up the street now. So after a while, it went from who got you he had G-Mom swag. His little chest used to stick out. He used to walk around the house and he used to be like, my G-Mom got me. And I would listen to him talk to him and his friends. He'd be like, my mom in prison for something she didn't do. Some girl said she stole her earrings. The earrings was only $40. My mother paid more for a surcharge than for a restitution, right? But anyway, my, my grandma got me. But you know what? Because my grandma got me, my grandma don't get high no more. And so I, this what? little boy became oh my, my life. I used to look in his eyes every day, and that's where I used to get my strength at. For the first time, someone was depending on me. I got my daughter in prison who's depending on me. I'm holding her down. I'm making sure she has commissary. She got a phone to call home. I get her grand, I get her son up there every week. I go every other week because I told her I still got to go to church. If I don't go to church... We're going to have a problem in Houston, right? So I was going to church. I was doing my meetings. And again, I was there for her and I was there for him. So I raised him for five years. He understood where his mother was at because I did the same thing that my mother did. I didn't sugarcoat it. Your mother's in jail. We go to prison. We visit her. He didn't understand that. The only thing he didn't, he didn't have was a concept of time. He knew when he turned, when he turned um, his 11th birthday, no, his 12th birthday, he knew his mother would come home. And so my daughter did four years, two months, and 28 days. That was, I became a mother for the first time. That was my ministry. I started being there for Jaquan. I nurtured his spirit. Oh, my she God. She was probably so appreciative of you, though, because that probably helped mend that relationship. Because for right. the last four years, you just took care of my baby. And I was, I, she started calling me, depending on me. I got another daughter out here. Remember my trophy of grace? She ends up, she has a baby. I'm there for her. They can now depend on me because I'm accountable today. I became a productive member of society. Everyone's depending on me. I'm in the rightful position in my family. My father passes somewhere in between here. But again, my children knew they could depend on me. And my grandchildren, they just became, they became my life. Today, Jaquan, oh my God, it's amazing. 
He got an opportunity in a lifetime. He's at St. Mary's. He has the Oshai Scholarship. Oh, we, wow. I looked up. They was like, just keep filling. I just kept filling out all these different um, scholarships. And one day he came home and he said, gee, mom. Father Durkin told me to tell you I got the Osha. I said, Osha, I say it again. So he has a full ride. He goes to St. Mary, $10,000 a year school. So it's just amazing. I mean, that's just incredible. And he's back with his mother, but I'm still on the team because it takes a village to raise of a child. Of course it does. So she still appreciates my, uh, you know, sure. my, my input. I'm a very important part of his schooling, his discipline. I help my other daughter. I go on trips now and I'll look back. And I got my both of my grandchildren with me. Now, and it's know, better than any of the highs that you ever what? got. It is so amazing. You know, it is so amazing how this thing has came full circle. My children call me for advice. You know, don't get me wrong. They call you for loans. Sure. <laughs> what happened? Don't you work every week? Do you think you I can You talk like your mom. I don't have any change. <laughs> right. But they get me all the time. So it's just amazing, though. So what about the feelings when you start to recover and you're feeling good? There had to have been days where you could feel the devil, so to speak, trying to tempt you. Mona, Mona, we got the good stuff over here or the negative people that you used to hang with. You know, when you would see, you know, that lady again, you know, what, what would you, I just had to make good choices. My thing to, it was corner stores because in our community, we have a lot of corner stores. And so I always wanted to jump on at the corner store because I wanted everybody to see me looking good. good. And I remember one time I kept jumping out at corner stores, shaking people's hands, letting everybody see me. And you're telling me, oh, I got to get out of here because I got to get over here. What's the name? Got a whole, he got his settlement. We over here. And I just had to learn that normal people go to Tops, Wegmans. <laughs> so I, I, to this day, I don't go to corner stores. I go to Tops and Wegmans because the corner stores was becoming my downfall. I always wanted to get out at the corner store and hang out. And I started telling people that I love to this day. I'm not better than you, but I want to keep what I have. And so I had to separate myself from them, you know, and that's what I had to do for me. I just had to stay away from them corner stores and stay away from people that I used to boost with. Yep. Because I went to jail with two years clean because I couldn't stop stealing. And I learned a lot from that lesson as well. So again, if the, if the drugs don't kill you, the lifestyle will. So I had to learn how to stop stealing. That's how I supported my high. I used to steal. So then it became a habit. Yep. And I like the fast money. It's just that adrenaline, that rush. I got away with it. And I had to learn that I had to use my hands for good today. I had to, it was better. It was something better because come with stealing comes consequences. And when I went to jail for those 60 days and I was, I was in my right mind. I wasn't using anymore. I was able to see clearly. And I'm like, even in jail, it was animalistic behavior. And I was like, you don't have to live like this no more. So, you know, to this day, I don't steal anymore. You know, I'm not stealing. I made but I think tr- it's important that you, that you have the wherewithal to say, these are the places that weren't good for me then, even though I'm good now, mm-hmm. it recovery is such a fragile place. It can be for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to make the decision not to go. Right. I don't, even if I've been good for 10 years, right, I don't go why, to why go if it wasn't a place that made you a better person? I always tell people and the participants I deal with today, I always tell them this. I'm just like you. Me and you are more alike than different. So you two can have what I have, but I'm only one poor decision away from being back in active use. So I have to be careful. You know, um, 
my downfall is my heart. And so matters of the heart and relationships. And so I had to learn, even after that heartbreak, I always thought that I had to have a relationship and I had to be in love, whatever we classify in love, what in love is, but (laughs) I had to be in love and I had to have somebody in order to feel value. Yeah, to feel, feel value. What I've learned today, you compliment me. We compliment each other. I don't need you. I would want to have you in my life, but I don't need you, okay? I don't need a relationship to feel validated, okay? They're great to have, and I don't believe anyone should be alone, and I believe we should all love somebody. But again, if I don't have one, I know somebody who loves me, and so I don't I don't have to... I don't need a relationship anymore. And that took almost, and I'm still working on that area. But today I'm all right with being with just me. And sometimes I'm so confident and cocky on the outside, but on the inside, I'm just so sensitive. And a lot of days I have no self-esteem. I remember coming into this field and I'm like, and I'm doing the right thing. And I'm helping anybody. But that that thing, no self-esteem would creep up on me. And I just had to, you know, just keep on pushing through. The young audience, I always just tell them, you have your whole life ahead of you. I've bumped our heads enough for both of us. You don't even have to do it no yeah. more. They come in, they be like, this is my first time in jail. Listen, you don't even want to get caught up in that cycle. You'll look up and you'll be 40. And you're still doing the same thing over and over. And to the older people, like I, so many people I know, you know, because I've been in jail with them, I've used with them. And so when they see me, they like, oh my God, if you off the hook could get clean. I know we, I can too. So yes, I do bring hope to people. And again, I'm just so honored and humble to be able to help somebody with my story, you know? And, and I see the common denominator when you talked about both times that you were using hard was when your heart was broken by what's his name and your heart was broken by your mom. So do you ever think about, okay, I'm 50. I have a long life to live. What's going to happen the next time I experience heartbreak? At the end of the day, whatever you got to deal with, it's going to still be there. So if the heartbreak is there, I'm learning how to deal with uh, deal with life on life terms. I'm also learning that there's so much help out here. <laughs> it's counseling out here. I just learned something about a couple of weeks ago called EAP. Listen, I'm learning about so much help that's available that if I do experience that, I'm not in this alone. I always felt like I always would retreat on the inside and felt like I had to get through it by myself. Today, you can go and ask for help and find out you're not the only one that's going through that. Someone else has been through it and they got through it. So, And what about the people who who feel like, well, I don't have a, a a grandson as my motivator. I don't have children. Like I'm out here on my own. You know, what can people attach themselves to, to, to push through and, and, and. But you got somebody out here that needs you. And so again, it was just about, I, I finally, you have life and you deserve it. We deserve a break. You deserve to live. We all deserve to live. And so like, that's the part that's just so rewarding. Like, I mean, I would have never thought all of these new experiences I'm experiencing, like, wow. And it's like, I'm like, oh, my God. And that's why you're so good at your job, because, one, you didn't have to go to school for it. Mm-hmm. This is all learned experience from mm-hmm. your heart, from your mind, from the streets, from your house, from your children. Like, it's all just stuff that has seeped into you that all you want to do is just give it away because that's you it. don't want people to feel that pain that you felt. Exactly. And they don't even know it. On most days, they help me. 
I'm like, wow, just when I see them standing there, I always give people hope because when I see them standing there, I admire you. You are stronger than you think. For you to be able to come out and just to, to, to talk to me and open up to me, you're stronger than you think. And so I let them know on most days you're helping me. I let them know and I always give them a clean slate. I, I make it I'm, I'm purposely come to work every day with no judgment everyone starts fresh and I'm here for you and I'm going to advocate for you. I'm going to be here for you. I have your hand. We're in this together. And I always, I always look at their strengths. I'm learning not to look at their mess ups or the, you know, their deficiencies, but I try to, I always focus on their strength. If it's just one thing, you know what, you got up off the bed and you answered the phone and you're talking to me that. So for that, I'm so grateful. And I just let them know that's a great job. When you look back, if you could give yourself one piece of advice at my worst, I would just say run for the help. It is so much help available. I would never get stuck again. If I did get stuck, I'm running to help. I'm running the best, best self. <laughs> and there's so much help out there. All you have to do is ask for it. And it's right there and it's available to you. And all of the barriers that used to be in place, they're steady coming down. And I also think it's important, not even with the drugs, that is an addition, but making sure their mental health is good because that could be a right. cause and effect. You know, are you feeling okay? Exactly. How are you feeling? It's so important that we stay in tune with their feelings because a lot of days, and again, my strength taught me that I still use my strength. Now on a personal level, it, it teaches me to be in tune with my feelings on a daily basis. Sure. It just got me on a health kick because they had this great um, exercise about health and eating healthy. So and I've been my real... strength is a digital. So basically it's a digital journal mm -hmm. um, that's based around mental health and mm -hmm. health and wellness and just feeling good and, and, and being accountable for yourself. Right. And your feelings. And I, cause I always want to stay in tune with my feelings cause I don't want it to creep up on me because depression, you know, like I said, um, it'll creep up on you. You don't even know it, you know, cause I haven't, you know, I've never like went to the doctor and been diagnosed with depression, but also yeah. know when I want to pull that cover over my head and not get up because I'm going through something. Also yes. remember how my depression would affect me and I wouldn't go to work. I would start to miss days of work because I didn't want to go to work because I'm dealing with something in my personal life. So I'm learning today with um, depression is sneaky too. It'll sneak up on you. So it's good to talk about it. It's good to stay in tune with your feelings. And you're right. That is important. It's good. How are you? And I, I've been telling, again, going back to the participants that I deal with, it's so easy for us to say fine. When I ask you, how are you? That is so common for us to say, fine, we do it all the time. You could have had an argument this morning with your boyfriend, but then you come in, I'm like, hey, Stephanie, how's things going? You say, fine. Of course. But you're not fine. No. I am all over here. I can't believe he just said that. And so I'm telling them, it's okay to stop and like, let's just not respond with the common answer, fine. Remember who you're talking to? They'd be like, fine. I'd be like, are you sure you're fine? Tell me a little bit more. Yeah, tell me what fine means. What fine means to you today. Tell me what makes your morning fine. So I'm, I'm, I, I kind of push them to express themselves. I just don't take fine because I say fine easily. And I could have had a rough morning, but if you ask me. Because you morning, don't want to burden somebody. Right. It is so important that you have to realize what you have. You have so much power under one roof. So if I know I have mental health issues, that's no longer a stigma. Listen, everybody out here have them. All of us, you know, I and I and I too used to be ignorant. I thought mental health issues meant you had to be foaming at the mouth and you had to be walking around talking to yourself. Well, I come to find out we all have them. Some people are more severe than others, but we all have them. And so 
it's okay to talk about them and to address your mental health issues. It's okay to uh, address your substance use issues. It's okay to go to the doctor and find out if I have hep C or if I have HIV. Let's deal with it all. When you think about Mona at 100%, I feel so good. What are you doing to make you get there? What I'm doing is just... um, Living life in the fullest, um, being the best mother I can be, being the best sister I can be, being the best friend I can be. Um, if I'm in in a relationship, the best significant other. Sure. I just want to be the best that I can be. I always tell people it's not how you fall, it's how we get back up. And so that's just what life is. Life is going to bring the potholes. You're going to trip. You're going to stumble. But we get back up and we just keep moving forward. And we learn to love life and we learn to enjoy life to the fullest. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Best Self Podcast. The views and opinions expressed by the Best Self Podcast are those of the producers and guests and in no way reflect the official policy or position of Best Self Behavioral Health. Any content discussed by the co-hosts or guests are their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.